and division. And that's not three goes into nine three times. It's divisions that are caused by the church. That this group, you guys are a group, and this group, this group is causing division with that group over there who's causing division in that group back there. And there's division over here, and there's division over there. And the Corinthian church was divided by division. And one of the things that we want to look at is the church was designed to be an irresistible community. Yet people are not always drawn to it. So how are we going to change that? I want to look at 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. Paul uses some very strong language here. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. I'm not very musical. No, I'm not musical. But uh, I know when I hear good music. I know when I hear harmony. And we had some harmony. Which one of you guys sings harmony? You sing, the, you sing the harmony? Both of you sing? Who sings the harmony? Oh, okay. The piano player in you. Harmony. And, and you don't hear them sing out of tune. And I don't know how in the world you can play the piano and sing and play that drum and sing and stay in tune, not lose your place. That to me is that's miraculous. But they do it. Live in harmony with each other. Let there, not be no, let there be no divisions in the church. Let there be no divisions in the church. I don't think you got that. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. We're going to have a, we're going to have a leadership meeting today. Deacons and the elders. And... Uh, one of the things that, is character, that characterizes our meetings is unity. Uh, we don't make decisions unless we're unified. And that's a good thing. We're not, uh, this isn't a church where the preacher says, this is the way it's going to be. Can we crank the air up any? I got, I got people that are going to go into arthritic uh, overload fanning themselves because they're hot. We got pregnant people in here. Are you a hot pregnant person? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little warm and it may get warmer. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos or I follow Peter. Or I follow only Christ. Those are the spiritual people. Christ, has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, for now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh yeah, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. But I don't remember baptizing anybody else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And not with clever speech, 
for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. We were talking about discipleship today. You guys, you men, if you don't have any place to go at 9.30, come on out. This is a phenomenal class. I mean, and, and I mean, I'm learning stuff. And we've become very transparent in our, in our uh, uh, discussion. But come on out. And one of the things that, that Bart was saying today was, you know, a feeling of, of uh, you know, I don't know what to say. And Paul is telling us right here, I, Paul, Christ didn't send me to baptize, so you don't have to baptize anybody, brother. But to preach the good news. And preach is nothing more than proclaiming. And not, and here's the, here's the rub here for a lot of people, not with clever speech. You don't have to have all the razzle-dazzle. You don't have to uh, know all the, the big words. You don't have to mesmerize people with your knowledge of Greek or Hebrew. For fear that the cross of Christ would, not, would lose its power. So it's apparent that Paul has some bond with this church. I mean, he is very close with the Corinthians. And he's very thankful that his testimony was confirmed in the lives of the Corinthians. This is a, this is a mark of a disciple maker. That your testimony is confirmed in the lives of the people that you're discipling. And he tends to be a passionate person, and his zeal for God and love for the church are obviously seen throughout his writings, all of his epistles. You'll see that coming through in Paul's life. He loves this church, and he loves the people of the church. So our text today is going to reveal a definite passion and a plea from Paul to the Corinthian believers. Since the Holy Spirit started working in the world, it's worked toward one great purpose. One purpose, to bring unity to the church. We're a pretty unified church here on this corner. We don't have a lot of problems. The Holy Spirit showed up in the book of Acts and distributed spiritual gifts to the believers, all believers. And here in the context of, of Paul here, it's to the Corinthian church in order that people of different social and economic groups be accepted. So you come to this church and you can come wearing what you wear. There's no dress code other than be dressed. <laughs> you don't have to impress anybody by your clothing or by the way that you wear your hair or by the car that you drive. We don't care about that stuff. We just want you here. Young man, uh, uh, we went swimming with. My, my granddaughter uh, is interested in him. And so she wanted to bring him by and let Grandpa inspect him. And, you know, there's, there's, there's no greater way to level the playing field than to be in a swimming pool with a pair of swimming trunks. I mean, you don't hide anything. <laughs> it's there. And so this kid was telling, I asked him, I said, and, and, and Brianna said, don't embarrass me, Grandpa. I said, baby girl, me? I'd take a beating before I'd embarrass you. And so uh, we're there, and, and, uh, and she's just grinning at him and, and smiling and just being nice, and, and this, this kid didn't know what he was in for. And I, I was looking at, 
trying to look at this through his eyes. Who is this old guy? Why is he here? What's he want? And so I told him, I said, where do you go to church? Eh, I don't go to church anymore. Grandpa died, and we used to, it used to be a big family thing. Grandpa died, so we don't go to church anymore. And I said, really? And Brianna says, Mom told me that I was supposed to invite him to our church. And I said, well, Carter, has she invited you? No. I said, okay, here's the invite. Come to our church. <laughs> well, you know, I don't have fancy clothes. I said, you don't have to have fancy clothes. The clothes that you wore to the pool. I mean, not just the swimming trunks. He had other clothes on. I said, that's fine. You come. We'd love to have you. We just want you to be under the authority of the Word of God. And so, uh, I think we'll see him someday. He's a good kid. Well, people needed to be accepted. And first, this whole thing was to approve Christianity as the path to God. That's the Holy Spirit came to these people. And then to the Samaritans as, they be, as, as, as able to be a part of the church. Remember the Samaritans were really looked upon as being bad people. And then the Gentiles. So what Paul is saying through his writing here in the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is everybody is welcome. Whether you are a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're one of those grubby Samaritans, everybody is welcome in the church of God. And it hasn't changed. And having all of these people of diversity can bring unity to our church. The problem comes when we start pointing our fingers. Well, they're not like us. They don't dress like us. They don't talk like us. They don't look like us. They're really not like us. Yeah, we're, we're comfortable being us. But bring them in and we're going to be uncomfortable. And I say, let's fill this place up with them. Amen? Paul, uh, for Paul, this is, uh, right now, it's, the church is caving in on itself, and this is, Paul is is weeping, because this is like he he gave birth to this church, and this is his child, and he's watching his child be destroyed, and and, and when he hears the report that's dividing, and there's conflict, it breaks his heart, and I see three areas today, three areas that division and disunity can destroy our church. Three areas. The first thing is, divisions in the church will not make us irresistible. See, we're, we're wanting to be that irresistible church. We're wanting to do things and say things and be what the Holy Spirit has, has made us to be. Every one of you who has named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ has been zapped, God zapped, by the Holy Spirit, and you have gifts. A gift of laying down isn't one of them, but that's okay. Go ahead, go to sleep, I'll wake you up, I'm going to talk about you. But, But every one of us is gifted. And when we use those gifts, we are going to be irresistible. That means people can't live without us. People on Friday are going to say, man, I wish it was Sunday so I could go to church. I look forward to Sunday. My sister teases me that I only work one day a week, and uh, so I like to earn my keep on Sunday. But 
I want us to be irresistible. I want us to be irresistible in our neighborhood where we live. I want our neighbors to say, hey, there's something about you people over there on that side of the street. I want to check you out. And they come. And when they come, we get them. And we get our claws in them, and we don't let them go. You can almost feel Paul's heart in this text when he starts in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. One of the major problems faced by the Corinthian church was disunity. They couldn't, they couldn't get along with anybody. They couldn't even get along with themselves. The Christians were loyal to different leaders and fighting among themselves about it. And the reason for these divisions isn't really stated, not really known, what the nature of the disagreements were. But from verse 11, we learn that there are quarrels among those in the church. People are fighting. This, this was a good, probably a good-sized church, and people were fighting about, I don't anything. And I was going to use as an illustration 25 things that, the 25 stupid, silly things that churches uh, are, are divided over. And it was so ridiculous, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I ran out of enthusiasm. So I didn't, just understand that, that we are human and humans do really, really stupid stuff. And we fight about things and argue about things and get in a twist over things that have absolutely zero importance in the face of eternity. Do you think that, that 2,000 years from now when we're sitting on a cloud with that scratchy robe on that skinny old cloud, do you think that what we wore on the 20th of July in 2019 is going to make a difference? Or our bank account or the, clock, or the car that we drove? Do you think any of that's going to make a difference? Or who we sat next to? No. It's going to make zero difference. Because in the face of eternity, God wants to know, what have you done for me today? And that's what we're talking about in discipleship. What are you doing today as a disciple maker? Whose life are you impacting today as a disciple maker? Are you involved in the lives of people? One person. If every single one of you would bring one person that you're discipling to church today, or tomorrow, next Sunday. See, you guys can be disciple makers. You can bring people in. If every single one of us brought someone in, we would double the, we would double the size of this church. And if we did that every week... Uh, we'd have to have that be an overflow section. And if we did that for a year, we would be building a new church, Craig. We'd be, we'd be operating under, what was that, the plan B? Yeah, we've got plan B plans around here for, this, for the expansion of the church. It's really nice. Paul rebukes this division harshly. And he says, I exhort you, or I plead with you. He says, uh, and the Greek, the Greek word is parakaleo, and, and we get uh, the word comforter or helper. 
uh, from that. And the basic meaning is that of coming alongside someone in order to help. So, stand up, baby girl. I'm going to use you. Well, you don't want me to use her. Okay. Okay. So this stranger that I drug into church, it's like, it's like she is needing to be helped spiritually. She needs to be guided uh, as a shepherd. So I am walking beside her, and she is walking beside me. And we're going to walk right out of here, collect collect the check, and let's go. But but we are walking together, unified. We're not fighting. We're not fighting. Watch yourself. But we are walking in harmony. We are walking in unity. We are parakaleoing. And that's what we need to do as a church. You can sit down, sweetheart. He says, for the love's sake, I appeal to you. He's talking he, when he talked to Philemon. And so he appealed to the Corinthians too. And so in doing this, the emphasis is to a local church and it's on the unity of the local assembly of believers, not on the mystical unity of the universal church, but this church on this corner. Not about denominational unity. I'm a Southern Baptist. I'm Southern Baptist born and bred. When I die, I'm going to be Southern Baptist dead. That is not what we're talking about here. It's not about the, the, uh, the denominational unity. It's about the unity of brothers and sisters in Christ. But unity with the local church and the congregation all should agree. And, and one of the best translations, you're going to love this, Jerry, one of the best translations is uh, in the King James, and it says that, all, that you all speak the same thing. That's a, that's a tremendous translation. And, and it's what we're, what we're about. We are to be speaking the same thing. We got the same, the same attitude, the same heart. We're going to, when, I, when I talk, you're going to be in agreement, and when you talk, I'm going to be in agreement. We speak the same thing. Nothing is more confusing to new Christians or to unbelievers who are considering the claims of Christ than to hear supposedly mature Christians arguing about what the Bible means or about Christian living. I can do this, but you can't do that. Why? Well, because the Bible says so. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say anything about that. And so people get confused and new believers get confused and they say, if there's this much confusion in the church, I can't be a part of that. I don't understand it. And so they fall away. They go someplace else. They go to the bright lights and the smoke that's coming out of the floor and, and, the, and the... Well, I was going to try to get that done and, and I got... I got I got voted down. Worship team didn't want any part of my ideas. <laughs> but we get confused, and so they go to the place where they're going to feel good, and there's no, there's no misunderstanding. They say, well, I can get into that. And so we need to stop doing the things that would cause disunity. 
And, and, and few things are more devastating to a, to a church than everyone having their own ideas or their own interpretation about faith or being divided into various factions or their own views. The local church to be spiritually healthy, harmonious, and effective must be about unity. Paul was, was teaching agreement in God's revealed truth in Philippians 3, 15 through 16. He says, let all those, all who are spiritually mature, agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Don't take two steps forward and three steps backwards. The word division is what we get our word schism from, and it literally means to tear or rip apart. It means to have a difference of opinion, a division of judgment, dissension. We're disagreeing. And the most serious divisions a church can have are those involving doctrine. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 16, 17, he says, And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. He loves the church, and he loves the church people. My dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them, he says. The second thing, are we, if we're truly wanting to have an irresistible church, we have to get along with each other. We need to get along with each other. I've met people who don't even understand how to live like Jesus. They don't have a healthy relationship with him. They're spiritually immature. They don't have any interest in developing their faith through studying God's word. I've met people who don't even understand how to live like Jesus. He says, for some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. So he's, he's, he's agitated, but he still loves them. He says, people in, in Chloe's house have told me things that are going on that are wrong. Chloe, we don't know much about her. Someone suggested that this was a man. I, I, I don't see that unless, unless uh, Chloe was identifying <laughs> as, a, as a man. But uh, Chloe opened her house up to uh, have church there. And it was significant. And so in this house church, there were people that were saying, you know, look at that Corinthian church. Those guys are fighting like cats and dogs. And so we got to tell Paul. He'll straighten this out. And so they did. They, 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 they ratted the Corinthian church out. And, and these members may have mentioned the troubles in, in a casual conversation, but either way, Paul gets the message. The last thing, a divided church will ruin its testimony. Who knows what a testimony is? Young people, what's a testimony? Tell me. 
Say, I got a good testimony. What does that mean? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, old people. What's a testimony? I don't have to be anywhere till noon, so. <laughs> What's a testimony? A story? Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. How you what? Who? You? Your testimony. Do you have a good testimony? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So testimony is how you came to faith, how you came to Christ. It doesn't have to be. Somebody said that you ought to be able to tell how you came to Christ in three minutes. Three minutes. Tell them the beginning to the end. See, everybody wants to dwell on how they serve the devil. And, and you know, those of us that, that have uh, lived that, uh, that lifestyle, you know, we can spend hours talking about the bad stuff in our life in just a few minutes about what God's done. I, I served the devil long enough. I don't want to talk about him. I want to talk about what Jesus has done for me. How Jesus has raised me out of that stuff. How he gave me a, a, a wife who stuck by me when I was in all that junk. And gave me two beautiful kids. And, and we had two great sons-in-law. Is it son-in-laws? Sons-in-law. Eight beautiful grandkids. Three beautiful great-grandkids. We got married when we were two. So, three great-grandkids, and they're beautiful, and, and, and why? God gave those to me. Why? Because I am now a son of the king. That makes me a prince. I am royalty. Be careful how you address me. Kiss the ring. <laughs> you know, we, we, part, of our, part of our testimony is bragging on God of what he did in our lives. Say, well, I don't have that much to brag about because I haven't been saved that long. I haven't done much. Yeah, you have. If you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that's huge. And so you talk about that. That's your testimony. And what we don't want to do in the church is the collection of all of us, and all of us contribute to the testimony of the church. I'd go into a town... And uh, they would want me to uh, come and, and share the Iwana program at the church. I'd go and I'd get gas or something. I'd go to the gas station. I'd say, Do you, uh, can you tell me anything about First Church? Oh, brother, stay away from that bunch. They are, that's a snake pit. Snake pit. I don't like snakes. Maybe they need a snake eradication. Okay. Well, what's making them snaky? Ah, oh, they fight the... The, the treasurer was a thief. <laughs> he, he, this guy I'm thinking about, he really was. And uh, embezzled thousands of dollars. And so you know a little bit about that church, and the church doesn't have a very good testimony, does it? Or you go to another church, and they, that's my church. I go to that church. Those people, on Thanksgiving, they go around and have baskets of food, and in, in that basket of food is a turkey, and they'll knock on the door. That's your door. They'll knock on the door and leave the food and take off. They don't do anything. They don't make any kind of a scene. But they know that there are people in the community that have a need, 
And so they give them turkeys and they give them cranberries and they give them all the, all the, all the fixings for a, a great Thanksgiving meal. He said, that's my church. My church takes guys out to Colorado every year and we hunt. My church has a ladies group and every year we go over to uh, Kansas City and we spend the night and, and, we do a lady, and, and we do a ladies, my wife and, the, and, and her friends, they do a ladies thing. It's great. That's my church. That's a great testimony that this church has. And this church, though, the Corinthian church, is quarreling and is divided. And Paul takes this division seriously and he writes this letter. Paul knows just how dangerous division can be and he means to deal with it before it gets any worse. So, so straight off the, the papyrus... <laughs> Paul begins pleading and besieging the church to be unified. He says, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I'm a follow, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Peter. I only follow Christ. And so the, this church formed cliques. And churches today do that too. The church then was suffering from at least four separate divisions. You know, Apollos and Paul and Peter and Christ and and and. Apollos was a great guy. He pops up from time to time. He was an Alexandrian Jew, and that, that uh, Alexandria was a northern, northern Africa. Very well educated, uh, great knowledge of Scripture, bold and gifted speaker. And, and uh, Paul founded the Corinthian church, and Apollos has been helping lead it. You know, everybody likes somebody who is a, has a glib tongue and can, and can talk well and and can uh, uh, speak without notes and just off the top of his head. You take my iPad and I'd be lost. I'd mumble and stumble around, but, but uh, I, that's, that, I need that stuff. And we don't really know about what the cause of the divisions were, but it's probably the result of personal preference. And, and those who followed Paul were likely advocates of his ministry to the Gentiles. And, and these people would have related specifically to Paul because he was more actively working at discipling these people. And it goes on with, with Apollos and Peter and, and how each followed a leader that fit their style better and thus created these cliques within the church. And even though they were working for the same mission, the groups quarreled among themselves. And we look in verse 13, Paul says, Is Christ crucified? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? For all these arguments and disagreements, Paul dismantles their reasoning. He says, no, stop it. He drives home the point that division is absolutely foolish. Friends, in our church, if we get crossways with each other, we need to talk to one another about that. You know, sometimes we say something and it can be offensive. You know, sometimes my, my, my mouth says things that you, and you can't take it back and you, where in the world does that come from? And, and, uh, and so my, I have a stupidity barometer. She comes every Sunday and she is up here with her eyes, rolling her eyes. 
And I know, I know I'm going to hear this. What in the world were you thinking, John? I'm not going to call you a bonehead, but you sure were a moron. And so we talk about those things that cause the division. And we give one another the opportunity to repent. Can you imagine how frustrated Paul would be over the church that he started and they were following over who they were going to follow? And as if that were not enough, he learns that part of the division is actually people who claim to follow him. So Paul breaks down any debate with one question. Was Paul crucified for you? Was Paul crucified for you? Every Wednesday in our life group, if you don't have anything that you're doing on, on Wednesday night, you need to come out at 7 o'clock at the Maddox home. Uh, we'll give you directions. Or um, at Sunday, every other week. At, are you guys off for the summer? Okay. At the World Home. Oh, 